is Eye on Ed, your source for information about audits, investigations, and other work by the U.S. Department of Education Office of Inspector General. Tune in for the latest news on our efforts to find and stop fraud, waste, and abuse in federal education programs, operations, and funding. Hi, I'm Stephanie Bloom. Welcome to Eye on Ed. When people think about natural disasters like hurricanes or wildfires and the federal response to those disasters, they're probably thinking about FEMA, not the U.S. Department of Education. Yet the department received about $2.7 billion to help schools in the states and territories impacted by the 2017 hurricanes and wildfires. Today we're going to talk about the OIG's role in overseeing federal education disaster recovery funds with two OIG staffers who are right in the thick of OIG's efforts. From OIG's Investigation Services, we have Neil Sanchez, Special Agent in Charge of the OIG's Southern Regional Office. And from OIG's Audit Services, we have Keith Cummins, Acting Director of our K-12 Audit Unit. Gentlemen, thank you for being here today. Happy to be here. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Keith, let me start with you. Federal Education Disaster Recovery Funds, what can that be used for? Disaster recovery funds can be used for a number of different things, um, from renting mobile educational units in the immediate aftermath of a disaster, to replacing textbooks and other instructional materials, developing curricula, transporting students in cases where the entire school was destroyed and they ended up going someplace else, um, recovering electronic student and personnel data, and even in some cases replacing entire school district information systems. Uh, in some cases, these entire systems were wiped out. Uh, they're really important because they contain all sorts of information, demographic data, student grades, attendance data, all these things that are necessary for districts and schools um, for accountability purposes. Neil, what's the OIG's role? We play a critical role in the process. We uh, audit grantee spending. We examine the effectiveness of the programs, and we investigate uh, allegations of fraud, theft, and other wrongdoing involving these, these funds. It, it's our job, really, to ensure that these funds are, are spent appropriately and as intended. So when does the OIG begin its work? After the department has dispersed the funds? Well, we actually started our work before the aid was dispersed. Um, we met with the state and territorial departments of education and other government officials to talk about establishing strong accountability and oversight controls, you know, the, the sorts of things that they need to do to protect disaster recovery funds from fraud, waste, and abuse. Um, we also developed a plan for overseeing how these funds are going to be used. We discussed these plans at conferences with federal education program and financial administrators. These are the folks that are actually on the ground at both the state and local levels. And we've met with department leaders and staff uh, and others in the oversight community to share information on our work and related concerns. And we did the same with our law enforcement colleagues. We met with state and local police and prosecutors to discuss our planned disaster-related work and to raise awareness of fraud and other criminal activity. You were actually on the ground right after the 2017 disasters? We were. We visited Puerto Rico in the Virgin Islands. Uh, the devastation, uh, just overwhelming for, for those folks in, in those communities. Uh, the schools were... 
uh, almost completely destroyed. Uh, when we got there, even months after uh, the storms, uh, a lot of the students hadn't been back to school or were on half-time schedules and, uh, and really just taking advantage of whatever space they could find. While we were out there, we also met with uh, our law enforcement uh, partners and the prosecutors out in those areas and other affected areas as well uh, to discuss ways that we could work together to tackle some of this disaster-related fraud. Yeah, and, and we learned through our previous disaster recovery work that these early meetings are really helpful. Um, they allow state agencies and intern local agencies to prepare and put in place systems that will actually help them better handle the very large amount of funding that they're about to receive and that they'll need to spend in a very short period of time. You know, when I, when I think about this, it reminds me of that Ben Franklin quote, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I think it's just as relevant today as it was back then. Um, try to get it right from the get-go. Just things work a lot better that way. That makes sense. Keith, let's start with audits. How does the OIG determine what to audit in its disaster recovery efforts? Uh, in a word, money. Um, but there's more to it than that. We're generally going to the states and territories that receive the most funding under each program, um, which are also the areas that were hit hardest by the disasters. But we also consider the results of prior audits and other reviews um, and factor in everything we know about the department's work with the affected entities. Most of our audit work is compliance-based, which is making sure that everyone is following the laws and regulations. So whether it's how the state or territorial education agency disperses the funds or how the schools and school districts spend the funds, and we also do a lot of work on data reliability, too, um, since the department makes funding decisions based on what it gets from the states. So the bottom line is that we want to make sure that the funds are used um, to help the schools and children impacted by the disasters get back to normal. It's unfortunate that disasters and recovery efforts provide unique opportunities for criminals to exploit people during vulnerable times and to steal federal disaster recovery funds. Neil, is there a particular reason why? Primarily, it's because disaster recovery funds tend to be more susceptible to fraud. Large amounts of money are being distributed and spent in a short amount of time. This opens the door for criminals to take advantage of the situation and prey on those who are trying to help. Can you give us some examples of what this fraud looks like? Certainly. Uh, at the college and university level, for example, an institution can experience a high level of student withdrawals after a disaster. If the school is going through a financial hardship, they might be tempted to falsify student attendance records, making it appear as though the students are still attending classes in order to avoid having to return funds to the department or to, to justify drawing additional funds on behalf of the students. At the elementary and secondary level, a vendor might offer a kickback to a public official in order to win a school contract, or a vendor could charge an excessive fee for modular buildings or other items that a school needs to get back to educating children. What is the most common type of fraud you've seen involving disaster recovery funds? Historically, it's criminal misapplication and procurement fraud. Okay, let's break that down for listeners who might not be familiar with those terms, starting with criminal misapplication. Misapplication is the using of funds for other than their intended purpose. It's usually when a school official, business, or public official misuses funds for their own personal benefit. Purchases such as mortgage payments, boat or car payments, or travel. Misapplication is almost always prosecuted when it leads to personal or corporate enrichment. So that's the criminal part. Yes. 
Okay, then what's procurement fraud? Procurement fraud generally is anything outside the normal procurement process. Bid rigging violations of conflict of interest statutes, gratuities, kickbacks, and bribes. And, and of course, there's theft and embezzlement by school employees and trust positions, which usually involves false invoices and bogus vendors. Sometimes they just flat out wire money to their personal bank accounts. How does the OIG become aware of possible fraud or criminal activity? The OIG becomes aware of possible fraud in a number of ways. Through other law enforcement agencies, local or state education agencies, or perhaps most importantly, from everyday people. This could be someone working at a school that notices something isn't right with a contract award, or a financial aid administrator who notices that students have withdrawn but are still on the school's attendance rolls. Or it can be someone noticing an unexplained increase in wealth of a public official or where it appears they are living well beyond their means. I'd imagine that's a huge challenge for people, how to identify fraud. There are really two big challenges. One, how do people know if it's fraud or not? And two, fear of reporting allegations of fraud. For the first, how do we know if it's fraud? If something doesn't seem right, it may not be. That's why we put together the red flags and fraud indicator posters and materials to help people become aware of possible improprieties involving disaster recovery funds. Now, people may think that they have to bring a completed investigation to us. You don't. We'll take care of that. All you have to do is contact us and let us know what you have seen or heard or have experienced, and we'll take it from there. The second challenge is fear. People might be hesitant to bring an allegation for fear that they would be retaliated against. That's why the allegations that we receive are handled in a confidential manner. That's important. That's really important because we need everyone's help to protect these public dollars and get our schools back to the business of educating students. It is people's hard-earned tax dollars that are funding recovery efforts. We want to make sure that these dollars are used as intended and not lining the pockets of criminals. So what can people do to help protect disaster recovery funds? First thing, click on the disaster recovery link on our website, which is right there on the front page. Uh, there you're going to find a lot of information about our ongoing work, department disaster recovery funds, including examples of red flags and indicators of fraud. And we've actually even broken it down so that we have indicators that are specific to K-12 schools, colleges and universities, and the general public. We have posters that you can download and put up in your office so you have that information right at your fingertips. Right. And we encourage you to familiarize yourself with those indicators, particularly if you work at a school, college, or university, or a business that is supplying services or materials to schools. And if you suspect waste, fraud, abuse, or other criminal activity involving disaster recovery funds, let us know by contacting our hotline. The link is right here on our website. All right, Keith, Neal, thank you for being here today and for sharing this great information. Thank you, Stephanie. Sure thing. Thanks again for having us. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. You can read more about the OIG's disaster recovery efforts on our website. And be sure to check back with us for additional podcasts and updates. I'm Stephanie Bloom with the U.S. Department of Education, Office of Inspector General, and this has been Eye on Ed. 